Hello and welcome back to Trinus Magnus, Jab's Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and right now I'm doing what you might call a podcasting vacation. You see, boys and girls, technically Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is on hiatus right now, but what I told you, which is to say my loyal listeners, what I told you guys was that you know, just because the show is going on hiatus doesn't necessarily mean that Trennis Magnus Jab's reality is going to go away. It just means that there won't be a, like a weekly uh, release of Trennis Magnus Punch's reality. That's all. But Trennis Magnus Jab's reality, well, I mean, I'm not promising anything, but, you know, just as something catches my attention, uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe I'll podcast about it, you know? The idea is to kind of get away from like the weekly deadline that I've been living with now for over five years and you know basically just podcast as I want to so anyway so that's that stuff which I'm sure makes for just riveting listening but uh, anyway to kind of get into uh, today's uh, subject as many of you may know there's a solo Joker movie in the works right uh, it, it basically stars Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker and it basically purports to tell the origin, or at least one possible origin, for the Joker, right? And I don't know about the rest of you, but this is something that, I mean, it's like, I guess it was on my radar, but it wasn't something that I was paying a lot of attention to. You know what I mean? This wasn't something that I had much of an opinion about, really one way or the other, you know? Or, I guess if I did, I mean, this whole, you know, Garfield minus Garfield thing that's been happening with comic book movies and or TV shows lately where, you know, this main attraction that on paper, this is what we're here to see. Yeah, no, we're not going to show you that, but we're going to maybe get into this other stuff over here a little bit. You know, these side characters or, or whatever. And, you know, I mean, I tolerated that with Smallville because it... It was a Superman show, but it wasn't a Superman show, but it kind of was, but not really, except, you know, in a way, you know, but, you know, seeing this with, with other TV shows or with other movies or just, you know, whatever, honestly, that little gimmick really has worn out its welcome, you know? So those of you who are enjoying Krypton, you know what? Good for you. I hope you enjoy it. Not for me. You know, or if you're looking forward to that TV show they may or may not make called Metropolis, here again, good for you. I hope you have the time of your life. Not for me. And I guess if I had, you know, originally, like starting out on this, if I had an opinion about this Joker movie at all, the one starring Joaquin Phoenix, if I had a, uh, a an opinion about that movie at all, it that it, it was probably going to be a variation on on one of those things, you know? Those of you who are looking forward to it, I hope I hope it's everything you want it to be. But I'm not really too sure about this, you know? And that kind of started to change. Yeah, I want to say it was a couple of days ago now. Actually, what am I saying? It was over it was over the weekend as uh, as I record all of this. It was over the weekend and there was a teaser trailer that uh, came out for the movie and you know, it doesn't really tell you a whole lot but it shows you a little bit you know it's basically 
uh, Joaquin Phoenix, or the character, is Arthur Fleck. He's basically, you know, staring past the camera with kind of a blank face that kind of gradually morphs into like a real smile. And the entire time, you know, there are flashes of light splashing across his face that have little glimpses of the Joker in them, right? And then the teaser ends with Joaquin Phoenix and all of his Joker makeup glory. He smiles at the camera, then the smile almost instantly wilts. And he gives a kind of chilling look at the camera, you know, and uh, it's a little unnerving, I must say. And there's your teaser, Haas. And I got to tell you, I don't know why, but something about that teaser kind of has me up for the game a little bit with uh, this Joker movie. And honestly, guys, a lot of this stuff is kind of happening against... Uh, the backdrop of goings-on with the DCEU, which maybe, you know what, maybe recording this episode right now is kind of perfect since it'll serve as kind of a sequel to that episode of Trinus Magnus Jab's reality that I released last week about goings-on with Henry Cavill, and, you know, yeah, he may not officially be out, but let's cut the shit, you know, and so, you know, there's that. Basically, the way it looks to me, guys, for better or for worse, is the DCEU is a little bit of a train wreck, you know, right now. And honestly, you know, for reasons which aren't entirely Warner Brothers' fault, nevertheless, it remains that Marvel has a virtual monopoly on continuity-laden shared universe type stuff, you know? And at this point, guys, we just need to face reality here a little bit. The damage is done. So, at this point, I think Warner Brothers should go their own way now. Now, before I get too far in, in, you know, into this, guys, I want to just say that, you know, before this whole uh, build-up with Man of Steel and goings-on with, you know, Zack Snyder and, hey, Zack Snyder, he's going to be directing a Superman movie and it's going to be so freaking cool and, you know, all that... Before all that stuff, you know, happened, I had two basic ideas for what Warner Brothers could do with their superhero characters, right? Basically with the DC characters, right? Two separate ideas that would allow Warner Brothers to go about developing superhero films, but maybe do it in a way that doesn't compete or at least doesn't directly compete too much with what Marvel's up to, right? And so the first idea I had was basically you do a solo Superman movie and then you do a Batman and Superman team-up movie and then you do a Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman sort of like Trinity sort of a movie and then you do a Justice League movie and then you can basically, I guess, use... A Justice League movie as free market testing, you know, whichever characters are the most popular, spin those characters off into their own solo movies, and then, you know, just develop these things kind of piecemeal, always keeping, keeping an eye on the fact that, you know, there are individual franchises going on here, but really only pursuing the stuff that makes the most bank, right? That was one idea. And to me, it didn't seem like that was necessarily too much competition, you know, for Marvel. It, it didn't compare 
too directly to what Marvel's doing, right? And, you know, it's different enough to be interesting, but similar enough to maintain interest. You know what I mean? I, I'm not sure if I'm even phrasing that right. Basically, it's different enough to justify its existence, but it's still similar enough to maybe chase a similar market as Marvel, right? Maybe that's the better way to put it. So that was one idea that I had. You know, basically, don't exactly duplicate the Marvel formula, but don't necessarily throw it away either. Just kind of do your own thing with it, you know? So there was that. The other idea I had, and I'm actually going to expand upon a little bit more here in this episode, the idea I had was just, you know what? Never the Twains shall meet, right? Basically, you know, maybe the better way to go is to, to keep these characters separate, right? And it occurred to me that I don't think I ever, you know, like, talked a whole lot about, like, some of the ideas that I had for, you know, what could you do with DC characters in live action? But do it in a way that doesn't really compete with Marvel. And to kind of tie it all back to, you know, this subject that I used to launch this episode, you know, in a weird kind of way, this Joker movie is kind of closer to this alternate idea I had for, you know, DC characters in film, you know, where this Joker movie, it seems like the people involved with it are just look you can love the idea of this movie or you can hate it right but the idea that i that i've gotten is that the the powers that be behind the the solo joker movie they really are doing this for love of the game you know joaquin phoenix he's in this because he wanted to tell this type of story about some kind of comic book character and it so happened that a script for the Joker came his way and the director what's his name Phillips you know he wanted to tell he, he wanted to do a movie you know kind of like this you know kind of a tribute to those kind of uh, American new wave slash new Hollywood movies of the 70s but kind of go in his own direction with it you know and so on and so on, you know, and it basically, it seems to me that everyone who's involved with making this movie, look, maybe the movie's going to be good, maybe it's going to be crap, I have no idea. But it looks like the people that are making this, they're basically doing it for all the right reasons, you know. They're in this thing because they want to tell a story. And as it happens, the expectations that most people seem to have for the Joker, like the movie called The Joker, the solo movie, the expectations that people tend to have for this thing seem like they're pretty low. And so, you know, these guys, I don't know. I mean, I can easily envision circumstances where this movie could turn out to be fucking amazing, right? Maybe it won't be. Who knows? But this is, this is kind of a variation, like I say, on this second idea that I had for Warner Brothers exploiting their DC characters in film. Like I say, you know, the first idea I had was somewhat copy Marvel, but just kind of go in your own direction with it. The other idea that I had was, you know what? Fuck Marvel. We're going to do everything our way. And so, you know, one of the ideas that I had was, you know, what if Warner Brothers made a live action adaptation of Batman's The Laughing Fish storyline, you know? And I guess what I mean by that is like, you know, do it upright. You know, do it as a period piece. And it's set in the 70s and it's got that 
kind of new Hollywood sort of vibe, you know, going behind it. And basically, you know, put that, put that comic book on film, more or less, or I guess digital video, more or less, right? And, you know, basically, you know, go in that direction with it, you know? Um, because the thing about it is, guys, you know, if you are, if you reimagine the laughing fish as more of like, more like a, a standalone piece where, you know, uh, Batman finds out that the Joker is on the loose and he's poisoning fish and all that shit. I mean, guys, look, it's been a long time, all right, since wide audiences have, uh, how shall I put it? It's been a long time since wide audiences have seen Batman choose between his calling as Batman versus the choice to lead a normal life, you know? And you know what? Who knows? Maybe, you know what? Maybe now isn't a bad time for that, you know? Um, you can... Basically, what you can do is you can just basically present a choice to Bruce Wayne, right? You can continue your calling as Batman, or you can pursue a normal life with the woman you love. I mean, Silver St. Cloud represents, when you think about it, a completely valid choice that Bruce can make, while the Joker, his participation in this Laughing Fish movie that's set in the 70s, the Joker represents the life path, which is going to eventually be, we all understand, Bruce Wayne's undoing. And so explore why somebody would choose something as insane as being Batman when a completely viable alternative, which is to say Silver St. Cloud, is on the table, right? Put that on film, you know? And you know what? Fuck sequels. Don't worry about sequels, right? Just make this movie and then let's see what happens in the future. But set this thing up as Batman who basically exists in his own reality, completely independent of everything else, and just let the chips fall where they may. Same thing with Superman, you know? Do a Superman movie that's set in the 1930s. And, you know, if you want, you can even use that It's Superman novel by Tom DeHaven kind of as inspiration, you know, if you want. You know, kind of like a uh, like Tom DeHaven meets Max Fleischer in live action sort of a thing, you know? It's like it's, it's part period piece or like slash like Capra film, and maybe it's part screwball comedy, you know, it's part vintage, early or mid-1930s sci-fi, you know, and guys, this could be interesting. I mean, you know, like the Jonathan and Martha Kent are dead, and so Clark heads out for the big city to make a difference in the only ways that he knows how, but like maybe the, the, the struggle that Clark has to overcome in this story is like, I don't know, like, he can, like, how can even, you know, Clark's amazing abilities overcome mankind's darkest tendencies, you know? And here again, don't worry about sequels. Just let the chips fall where they may. For right now, you can just tell kind of like a, a sort of a, like a coming of age type of thing as a Superman period piece film set in the 1930s, you know, where... You know, maybe the big struggle that, you know, Clark has to uh, overcome is, like I say, just a personal, the the personal foible of how can he believe in himself that he's going to somehow save the world when so many things in society are falling the fuck apart, 
you know, and, you know, there's stuff that you can do that plays to all of Superman's strengths as a character. Everything that makes Superman great, I think actually fits really comfortably in the 1930s, you know? Now, this may be offensive to some people, but fuck it. I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there anyway. I, for one, kind of have Nazi fatigue, all right? So I wouldn't want to see a movie that basically, you know, hits too much upon, you know, like the Nazi menace, because guys, we've seen that in a thousand fucking movies, okay? I get it. So why not just like avoid that and just basically do Superman in America and just leave like all this fucking World War II stuff just like out and just basically a movie with heart, a movie with action, a movie with like an actual aspirational ideal that Superman projects and something that audiences can believe in, but just set it in the 1930s, you know, partly because you know, novelty's sake. I mean, it's different from anything else that's ever been done with Superman in live action. But partly, this is kind of true to Superman's roots when you think about it, you know? So, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of different ways that, that you can work with something like this. Or or here's another idea, right? You've got a John Stewart Green Lantern movie, right? You can set it in the 1980s and basically set it up that, you know, John Stewart, he's working as an architect, but he's still recovering from all of his psychologically traumatic experiences in Vietnam. And that's the moment that he gets selected to be a, a, a member of the Green Lantern Corps. But all is not as it seems. And before he knows it, John finds himself in a kind of Watergate and outer space type of thing with the Guardians who are being subver subverted from within by persons unknown and it, it's like, maybe it's it's John Stewart's job to get to the bottom of that. But is John Stewart stable enough for the job? You know, and, you know, basically just tell, like, the the macro story is basically, you know, John Stewart rooting out corruption in the Green Lantern uh, Corps. Well, not so much the Green Lantern, although maybe the Green Lantern Corps, but, or the Guardians or just whoever, but like, that's the macro story, but like maybe the ma the uh, micro story is John Stewart coming to a place where he can forgive himself for you know what he did in Vietnam, or maybe he can he can get over what was done to him uh, during Vietnam, you know. And basically, you know, this struggle that he's got going on in the movie vis-a-vis -vis, you know, like I say, Watergate and outer space involving the Guardians. That's, you know, as any good character arc in a movie should be, that's, it's basically a metaphor of John's own internal struggle, you know, and, you know, the, the personal issues that he has to get over for himself. And, you know, why the 80s? Well, I guess the reason for setting it in the 80s is, if memory serves, actually, you know what? No, that's not when John Stewart was created, was it? No, it was, he, he was created in the 70s. Well, whatever. I mean, a lot of people... Even into the 80s, a lot of Vietnam vets were still struggling to find a way to live with all the shit that they saw, all the shit that they did, all the shit that happened to them in Vietnam. And so, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just something about the about a John Stewart movie of the kind that we're talking about. Something about a John Stewart movie to me just needs to be set in the 80s, and I can't even completely explain why. So I don't know. But anyway... I think that could be a fucking amazing idea for a Jon Stewart Green Lantern movie, you know? So, anyway. Moving right along, and like another idea, right? What about 
like uh, Martian Manhunter set in the 1950s as a kind of sort of like throwback film noir type of thing, you know, with like the Venetian blinds and the deep dark shadows and there's voiceover narration, there's a femme fatale and, you know, the whole program, you know. And the idea here is that Jean is every bit as much an outsider to the world of the 1950s as we are. And so what that's going to allow is that he kind of serves sort of as like our guide to hell as he investigates some kind of a murder mystery in the strange new world in which he finds himself. And, you know, the angle of on this, like the character bit, you know, would be that, you know, Jean has, he's basically more or less survived the apocalypse on his own planet. And for that reason, he's absolutely befuddled by the concept of murder, you know? And so explore that. Work with that, you know, like what does John Stewart or not John Stewart, sorry, John Jones being assigned a, to a, some kind of an a, of like a murder investigation? What does that do to him? You know, just like the idea, you know, being as he's depending on how you look at it, either the last Martian or the last Martian, at least that he knows about or the last of or one of very few or, or just whatever, like the idea of murder, you know, somebody who's by any standard, part of an endangered species. What effect does that have on John, right? How does someone who's lucky to even be alive cope with having to live with people who have no idea how good they have it, you know? Work with that. I don't know. Could be good. Here's another idea, right? A Barry Allen Flash movie that's set in the 1960s. You know, that could be a ton of fun, guys. Uh... You know, maybe it'd be kind of neat for the Flash to gain his powers, and before he even knows what's happening, he gets pulled into, you know, some kind of harebrained government scheme to use his speed to spy on the Soviets or some such fucking thing. And so, like, I don't know about the rest of you, but Barry Allen always struck me as a joiner, you know? If pressed, yeah, he'd work with the government. And so... When he zooms over to Smolensk or Moscow or wherever it is that he's going, maybe Barry discovers the mission that he's accepted isn't exactly what he thought he was signing up for. And so before too long, he finds himself torn between duty to his country versus what he knows is the right thing to do. You know, I don't know, something like that. But basically, the idea that Maybe the lesson that Barry has to learn is that, you know, it's well and good for people who have powers, use their powers to make their country a better place. But the dark side to that is, you know what, Barry, maybe the reason that you, that the United States government at the height of the Cold War, Maybe the reason they don't have anybody with abilities like that on the payroll is because maybe it's better that they don't. And maybe the lesson that Barry needs to learn is a little something-something about autonomy, you know? There's a lot to be said sometimes for independence. Work with that. You know, Barry, his natural instinct, I don't care what anybody says, Barry's natural instinct is always going to be to build a family, create a team, build organizations, and things like that. And so if he finds himself in a, in a situation or a position or just circumstances in life where he has to make the decision, no, 
I and I alone can make these decisions and I can't let political influences or anything like that dictate my actions because there's a lot more at stake in all of this than just one man's life. You know, maybe, maybe uh, the flashes simply being sent to uh, the Soviet Union by the United States government, maybe that's enough to, I don't know, get people worried that, hey, maybe it's time we need to start launching some nukes or something. You know, I don't know, work with that. You know, basically the the idea that, you know, Barry needs to maybe temper his own instincts of, you know, joining up with anybody who asks him, which maybe that's an oversimplification for Barry, but fuck it, I'm going with it anyway. Maybe that's not always the best reaction. So I don't know. Here's another idea. Uh, imagine pre-crisis Power Girl and the Huntress on Earth Two, and a it's it's kind of like a like sort of like a buddy cop type of movie. And you know, I think that something like that could be a pretty good entry point for wide audiences for Power Girl and the Huntress. You know. And none of this Helena Bertinelli stuff either. I mean, we're talking about good old Helena Wayne, which is to say the daughter of Bruce Wayne. Go for like kind of like an over-the-top sort of uh, fairy tale type of Earth 2 tone for this movie. Because don't forget, I mean, this is supposed to take place on Earth 2, you know. So work with that, you know. Uh, maybe by virtue of the fact that this is Earth 2, magic is more prevalent. And so you know, whatever big bad that Power Girl and the Huntress are going up against, maybe his abilities are based in magic, something that both Power Girl and the Huntress are vulnerable to, you know? That could be kind of fun, you know? So, uh, or here's another idea. Like, ages ago, I think I even talked about a couple of these comics on uh, Trennis Magnus Punch's reality ages and ages ago, but ages and ages ago, Vertigo published Sandman Mystery Theater, starring Wesley Dodds and these kind of gritty neo-noir types of stories. And, you know, it hit me. Why not do a Sandman movie along those lines, you know? Set it in the modern day, or as close to the modern day as you can get, considering when Wesley Dodds was born, like the 1920s or something, I guess. Uh, set it in the modern day as, you know, doddering old Wesley operates as a kind of like a PI type of superhero, you know, with the gas mask and the gas gun, the long coat, you know, the, the whole program, you know, and the shtick of this whole thing is like the angle, at least that I would want to go for is that Wesley is way too old for this type of work, even though he just can't give it up. You know, he's an old man playing a young man's game. So what's the price paid for trying to live up to ideals that his body is just too frail to uphold anymore, you know? Work with that, you know? I mean, maybe the metaphor of the movie, like the theme of it is not so much getting old as getting old while retaining your sense of dignity and self-respect in the process, you know, that, you know, maybe you don't have to be Mr. Superhero Badass uh, in order to make a difference in the world. Or here's one, maybe, you know what, dude, you've been Sandman for all these decades You've done enough. You've earned a rest. Give it a rest. You know, maybe that can be the metaphor. I don't know. Whatever. The, the point I, the, that I'm trying to make with all of these movies is, number one, all of these things can be produced independently of one another, and it would be better, I would say, if they are, 
keep them as separate as you possibly can, you know, where each of these characters, they all exist as much as possible, kind of in like their own sort of like immaculate reality, which is, that would be, admittedly, that would be kind of tough to do with Power Girl, the Huntress, and Sandman, and I get that, but, you know, otherwise, you know, as much as you can, basically, don't make reference to the fact that, you know, any of these characters live in a shared universe, you know, just basically treat this as though it's its own thing, and don't even try to make franchises out of these things, you know, set them in, in different, uh, you know, different time periods, or in the case of Power Girl and the Huntress, fucking set them on Earth too, you know, that could be badass, you know, and but just basically, just take a long, hard look at what Marvel is doing, and then do something else, you know? And basically, don't worry so much about making franchises or series or shared universes or any of that fucking bullshit. Uh, instead of doing that and, and competing too much with Marvel, do something that, you know, DC characters are best at, you know, which is operating on their own by themselves and, you know, in a certain sense, kind of living in their own sort of like miniature universes under themselves, you know, because when you think about it, I mean, like for a long time, that really was DC Comics's sort of hallmark. You know, that was like the way that all of these characters, for the most part, were more or less handled, you know. And I think that that or something like it, you know, that same type of philosophy adapted sort of into film. I think that could be really interesting, you know, and at the very least... You know, like, just think about it this way, right? Most of the movies that I just pulled out of my hat could probably be done on a $150 million budget or less. And they won't compete directly with Marvel. And they can they can exist independently of each other. And who knows? Maybe, just maybe... They could burnish a few DC properties that are in dire need of reinvigoration. But even if all of these different movies that I just, like I said, I just kind of made up on the spot, even if all of these movies fail, so what? At least they're original. So, anyway, and that's really, I, I, I think, like, like the big picture of what I wanted to say. You know, I mean, it's... It kind of bothers me that, you know, the DCEU has gone the way that it has and that it's been treated the way that it has. But, you know, honestly, I'm no sense crying over spilt milk. You know, at the very least, you know, what I think D uh, Warner Brothers can do to salvage goings on with these different DC characters is instead of trying to copy Marvel, something that doesn't seem like it's working all that well, instead of trying to copy Marvel go their own direction, you know, try something new, take risks, uh, do low budget movies where you don't have the option of, you know, like a, you know, depending on this 300 million plus dollar budget that you've got to, you know, uh, put in tons and tons of effects and all that stuff, you know, tell, tell these really, you know, uh, uh, intricate character driven pieces, uh, that are, written and directed by people who care about the material, starring people who are invested in the material, and don't worry about franchises, you know, don't worry about uh, series and merchandising and tie-ins and all that stupid bullshit, you know? Just basically, just make films. 
and don't worry so much about the franchise potential of something, you know? Do it for love of the game. Because, just to kind of tie it back to what I was talking about earlier, say whatever you want about this solo uh, Joker movie starring Joaquin Phoenix, but guys, the people involved in that movie looks to me like they've checked all the boxes. They're in this thing for love of the game. That's how it looks, anyway. It basically looks like the, this solo Joker movie is going to be a taxi driver with Joker makeup. And part of me is very interested to see how that turns out. So, anyway, this is one of those few times when I want to solicit ideas from you listeners. Let me know what you think. You know, basically, what can you do? What can you think of for a DC superhero movie or just a DC Comics movie that's different from what Marvel's done. I mean, I've thrown out a bunch of different ideas here. But it's not like, you know, this list that, you know, I've worked my my way through here in this uh, in this little spiel here. It's not like that's the end-all be-all. I mean, if if history shows us nothing else, it's that a lot of you a lot of you listeners are a lot more imaginative and creative than I am. So you know, send me some of your ideas. Let me know what, you know, like, if you could make a, you know, in the lines that I've kind of set up here, you know, of a DC character movie that exists completely by himself, you know, none of the shared universe type stuff, you know, he basically lives more or less in his own reality. Which characters would you adapt? How would you set it up? Like, what's the, like, what's the elevator pitch, you know, for your movie idea. Just throw it out to me. Let me know. I want to hear about it. Send me an email at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S, trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Send me an email. Let me know what your movie ideas are, and who knows? Probably I'm going to read them on mine. Because like I say, you guys are a lot more imaginative oftentimes than I am. So, anyway... Send me an email. Let me know. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Send me your ideas and let me know what you're thinking about. And that is pretty much it for me right now. So bye, everybody. I'll see you next time. That's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled... T-R-E-N-T-U-S 
M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demanzacor of Milan, Italy.